And we're going to start in First Thessalonians again. We're still there. It's taking a while, but um, actually going to backtrack a bit and go back to a passage that we've already covered. But um, since I first preached on this, the Lord's revealed some other things that I thought maybe I could share. Uh, they've been a blessing to me. So hopefully it likewise is a blessing to you. So we're going back to First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Okay, it says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow labourer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know... For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, in case by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labour be in vain. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. Let's just commit the preaching to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your perfect word and I do pray that you might help me to communicate it clearly. I uh, pray that it would, uh, it would take root in our hearts and it would, uh, it would change our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. So in my recent messages, we've been exploring how Paul has been encouraging greater sanctification in the Thessalonian Christians. We've seen while they walked faithfully, Paul gave three main instructions. He said that they were to increase in love, they were to abstain from all forms of fornication and that they were to reflect holiness through their work life. And that was the last message I gave. It was focusing on, on work life. But before he made any of these recommendations, Paul conducted a spiritual review. And I, I kind of glossed over this in, in the past and, and that's going to be the, the focus of tonight, the spiritual review that Paul gave. He made a current assessment of their Christian faithfulness and this allowed him to give relevant recommendations and this this is so important it's important in every every real aspect of life it's logical you know if you're going to build something you make an assessment if you're in the health sector you make an assessment before you give recommendations and same applies in um, in uh, Christian life otherwise there is a danger of making assumptions and giving the the advice might be good but it may be applied in the wrong wrong context so I just want to share a, a little example of this, and this is in John chapter 9, verse 1 to 3, before we get into it. John chapter 9, verse 1 says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither have this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. The, the big point there is that this applied to disciples. That's what it says there in verse 2. And this can apply to us. I wonder how much spiritual advice has perhaps been given or received that is based on incorrect or just a lack of information. 
we may have meant well, but didn't really take the time to figure out what was going on before we start prescribing some biblical truth. Maybe we've assumed a spiritual need and then given a recommendation that isn't applicable. And an example of this would be encouraging sanctification in someone that we don't even know is saved yet. We start going, you know, you should be dressing better. And in fact, I've had that happen before. You know, that was before, um, I've heard of that happening before where it's just not appropriate. The first thing is to point them to the saviour. And so that's more dramatic example that we kind of, you know, we can't know for certain their hearts, but we should at least make an effort to, to check it out before we apply that principle. So to ensure our recommendations are based on adequate information, we can conduct a spiritual review. And in First Thessalonians, we see an example of this. So tonight we will look at three examples. That's the, the magic number when you're apparently sharing a message. It's three points. Um, my outline is, one, the reviewed, or the one who receives a review. Secondly, we'll look at the reason for the review. And then my third point will be the reviewer, or the one who conducts the review, which will probably be us. Well, we, we could probably fit in all those. Uh, we can fit in the first and third categories. You know, we might be reviewed by others, you know, when we're in the, in the church context. We might have a Christian reviewing us, but likewise... We might be reviewing someone else. So the first point is the reviewed. And we see this in the first two verses. It says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow labourer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. So it was directed at someone, and we know from the previous messages it was the Thessalonian Christians. Their identity is well established in the initial chapters of the book. Uh, we, we We can look there in chapter one. At the outset, they're called the church, and they're called as being in God. Verse one says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And we continue, it says, We give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labour of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. And we skip down to verse 6. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. To verse 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. I think we get the point. They were Christians. Paul was convinced. In all these verses, Paul is describing them as Christian brethren who showed good works flowing out of their faith. Paul believed they were clearly saved and he was providing recommendations from this standpoint. While that's ideal, we may not always have that luxury. Um, I know sometimes I don't. When I'm speaking to someone or hearing them, I've got no idea where they're at. You know, maybe they are saved, maybe they're not. So sometimes it's unknown. So in these situations... Is there ever a time for doing a spiritual review on an unbeliever? 
first I thought, mm, probably not. But to be honest, then I start looking at the Word and, and uh, it showed me an example of this. So, and, and the reason is because a spiritual review on an unbeliever can give us critical opportunities for clarifying biblical truths that may actually lead them to salvation. The example is in Acts chapter 8. So if you'd like to turn there, we'll begin in verse 26. In this example, God prompted Philip to initiate a spiritual review with a religious yet unsaved eunuch. We know this popular story, but remember he was religious yet unsaved. Beginning in verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Two things there. In verse 27, it says he was intending to worship. And then in verse 28, he was reading the scriptures. Looks pretty Christian to me. <laughs> From first glance, we might infer that. But Philip didn't, and that's the point. We continue on in verse 29. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near, and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Here the Lord used Philip to review the spiritual needs of this eunuch. Philip didn't assume that he understood the scriptures or that he was saved. And this is the purpose of the spiritual review. It's really to highlight what is the spiritual need. We're looking at what's the need, and if they're saved, it's going to be different. The spiritual review, in just this process of, of Philip going and, and, and doing this process, it actually gave an opportunity to highlight the truth of the scriptures. And if we read on in that chapter, the unit gets saved, which is amazing. And then he gets baptised. Now, Philip, you know, the eunuch, it sounds like the eunuch wanted to get baptised first. So it was really important that the eunuch went and explained the truth of scripture because we know they were saved and then baptised. And so I think it was, a, it was a good example there that we can initiate a spiritual review not knowing 100% that someone's saved. The form of this spiritual review will look very different, though, depending on whether they're a believer uh, if they're an unbeliever, as I said, it's to reveal a need for salvation. And the reality is we will we'll not always know that need unless we spend time with them, unless we make the effort and to go and, and speak with them. And I was thinking actually of Christ this afternoon. He made an effort. He actually left heaven to come and dwell with us. So if he can leave heaven to come and dwell with us, I can probably go and spend some time with someone that, you know, talk with them about their their spiritual life. And as we've seen, a spiritual review will be really relevant for those that don't clearly understand scriptures or, or maybe lack a testimony of salvation. And if during that time we find that, if we find that they're not certain about those things, we point them straight to the Saviour because faith must come before any faithfulness. But on the other hand, a spiritual review with a believer may reveal a need for sanctification. And this is where we come back to our reading. 
I had to do that diversion because the Lord revealed it to me. I, I um, and it, it's, it makes it makes sense. You know, I think we should you know go and be talking to other people, and uh, even if we're uncertain of their salvation, never know where it might lead. So let's go back to First Thessalonians chapter three, which says. And sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow labourer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. So as the Thessalonians were saved, Paul was really reviewing their faithfulness. That's what he was doing. And now we're going to consider the reason for his review. Okay, verse 3 says that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labour be in vain. We know they started out really well. Uh, many were saved and began to faithfully serve the Lord. We've, we know that that's recorded in Acts 17. Verse 4, it says, And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. Well, if it's not a few, I imagine it's a lot. <laughs> so, it's logical. But Paul warned that despite this, if they were going to live like Christ and like Paul himself, they would suffer for that faithfulness. And that's exactly what happened. Eventually, those unbelieving Jews uh, persecuted them. And that's recorded all in, in Acts 17. But... Uh, in summary, I, I guess they, it was quite violent. It was, it was not just, oh, you're a Christian, you, you know, you're a loser, like which <laughs> some of the persecution we might get. Um, I was thinking, when I was looking at this before, some of the persecution, I, I got someone writing a crude version of the Ten Commandments once in a workplace that I worked, and it was right next to me because they knew I was a Christian. And I was like, oh, that was terrible. Then when I read like Acts and read that, I'm like, eh, it's not that bad. <laughs> so we think our persecution is pretty bad, but there's people dying for it. So In this case, they drew Jason, who was a notable fellow, drew him into town. That's dragged him. They physically dragged him into town. They accused them of, you know, of making a riot. They accused them of, tre of treason. And they were very serious crimes in those days. So it was pretty significant. Um, I'm not going to go into Acts. We can have a look at that in, in our own time. I think we've, we've looked at it in previous messages. But In summary, it was extreme persecution. The thing I want to highlight, though, is that these Christians had been discipled by the Apostle Paul. He's, he's pretty big. And they were warned about faith, you know, that the faithful would suffer for righteousness' sake. They knew about the Christ. They had been, they'd been warned that, to expect it. And they were actually growing strong. So they were going on really well. In fact, in chapter 1, it said that their testimony was published throughout all Macedonia. They were trying to put Paul out of business. So they were discipled by the best. They were warned of impending persecution. And then they were growing spiritually strong. So they, they had a lot going for them. So why was Paul still concerned if they had all this going? Well, it says in verse 5, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labour be in vain. 
He was really concerned that Satan had capitalised in some way or another on this persecution. There was still a possibility for temptation despite what discipleship, despite their salvation, despite all those things. This, and this passage really reveals some risk factors that might trigger a need for a spiritual review. You know, like if we hear, you know, we're always hearing of people going through trials, but there's, there's things that might raise the alarm. I need to check in on that person. In this case, they were spiritually isolated Christians. While they were still together, they were isolated from Paul and Silas, who was teaching them in the faith, and they were separated quite early in that discipleship. They still had much to learn about Christianity, and in fact, later on in the book, they, Paul writes to them to address some of the gaps in their learning, you know, about the, second, you know, the coming of Christ and, and things like that. But also, they were suffering persecution, and I've thought about some, some examples in the scriptures where this has applied, where there's been both isolation and, and, and suffering. And I thought of Elijah, where he isolated himself. So in this case, he, he actually did the isolating. He, he, remember when he ran from Jezebel? He had those death threats and he, he hightailed it out of there. Uh, he says, and when he saw, when he learned this, that he went for his life and he, he actually left his servant in another place so he, he left his fellowship and he, he was running for his life and what about job in this case he was isolated not for his own wrongdoing he was isolated from his family and the company that he did have was dodgy as like his friends who wants them um, he's left with some pretty ungodly friends and then i thought of christ while he never sinned Remember the temptation? He was isolated. And it says in Matthew 4.1, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungered. And then after that we have those threefold temptations of, from the devil. And so isolation, particularly spiritual isolation from fellowship. And I was encouraged to hear Pastor Crockett speaking about that this morning because... I don't know where I would be if I didn't have the fellowship of, of some of you. Uh, I don't want to imagine. Um, regardless, regardless of one's spiritual growth, regardless of whether you're raised as a Christian, you're raised strong in the faith in the early days, this isolation and suffering are red flags for a spiritual review. We should make the effort to check in. Because remember, we're all flesh. And we're all human. We're not Christ. Uh, Christ did well in, in the temptation, but we're not. We've got the power of Christ in us, but we should still make the effort to reach out if uh, these triggers happen. So how can isolation look today? Well, I think I remember even coming to church early in the early days, I was spiritually isolated. I was saved, but I was spiritually isolated. I'd come in and I'd sit and I'd be nervous and I'd hightail it out. I'd run out. I felt very intimidated by by a lot of Christians. Um, I was out of my comfort zone. Down at the beach, it was fine. I was in, in my comfort zone. I had lots of company. But here, I felt intimidated. And I say that because you might have someone that's early saved or, or maybe from another church, and they might feel intimidated by you, funny enough. They may f- struggle to feel welcome. They may r- remain on the fringe of the church. And if that's the case, they are vulnerable to Satan's attack. Reason being because we know Satan is, walks about 
as a roaring lion, and he wants to find vulnerable people. So I, th I think uh, that's how isolation might look. Then isolation might also come into play when Christians leave fellowship, and Pastor Crockett highlighted this this morning, but perhaps we move away from church or study, um, and I think that's a dangerous move. I thought about doing it in the early days, but the Lord provided me employment, and I was actually warned by uh, uh, another man. Um, actually, it was a pastor that warned me. He said, look, just make sure you're going to get fed and that you're, you, know, you need to think about your spirit and you're still growing as a Christian, and it was really good advice, very good advice. I didn't like it at the time, but it was good advice. So it really makes us vulnerable if we're isolating ourselves. And then there's suffering. Now, this can come in many forms, as we know, and many of us have been touched by it. It could be physical illness, it could be psychological distress, death of loved ones, we could be persecuted, uh, financial loss or isolation. As I was listing all those things, I thought Job experienced all those. He had physical illness, psychological distress, death of loved ones, persecution, financial loss of cattle, and he was isolated. So he had all those. And then James portrays him as an example of you know, patient suffering. So the point I make there is that while we might have those risk factors, they don't necessarily cause temptation. They're just risk factors. So... Um, they're not necessarily going to lead to temptation, especially not if we walk in the spirit and the strength of the Lord. So the reason for Paul's review was the risk that Satan might have uh, had some influence in their isolation and suffering. My third point is about the reviewer. In verse 5, back in 1 Thessalonians, it says, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I, Paul, sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labour be in vain. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. Really, Paul was best placed to continue this review, wasn't he? He was... He knew them best. He and Silas led them to the Lord and he had discipled them before that persecution took place. And he did this in a close spiritual relationship. Back in chapter 2, he described it as a nurse cherishing their children. And in that same chapter, he described himself as their spiritual father caring for his children. This, this really shows that he had a close relationship, which is the best way to have a spiritual review. You know, if you go up to someone and say, oh, so tell me, how you, how's your walk, you know, your Christian walk, and you've never talked to them before, they're going to be like, um, I don't really want to tell you. Like, I don't know whether to trust you. What are you going to do with the information? So that's logical. So it's, it's much better to show you're trustworthy and show that you care and make the effort to build a relationship before we start those conversations. Uh, so Paul and Silas actually wanted to complete this review themselves. They said that at the end of chapter 2 but unfortunately they were hindered in chapter 2 verse 18 it says wherefore we would have come unto you even I Paul once and again but Satan hindered us and when they recognised this need they weren't going to just leave it there they were, they were set out to, to minister to this, these group of Christians and so they sent Timothy 
There were three things that made Timothy suitable, and it's, this might happen to us. The, the Lord may send us, the pastor may send us, the, you know, there might be someone that say, hey, do you want to just reach out to this person? So these three things might apply. In verse 2, chapter 3, it says that Timothy was a brother in Christ. We've got to be in Christ first. It's logical, but we've got to make sure that that person's in Christ. Uh, they've got to be a Christian. Secondly, Timothy was a minister. More so, he was a servant. He was willing to, to follow Paul's commission. Paul said, will you go and do this? And he said, yep, and he did it. He was a servant. He was not looking for limelight. He, he really just wanted to serve God and, and be used as, as a servant. Thirdly, he was a fellow labourer working in collaboration to spread the gospel. He wasn't going to go out on his own. No, he was collaborating with those that had started this work. And that's important for us to remember as we get alongside people. We've got to remember it's actually a church, a body of Christ working together. It's not, uh, it's not just David on his own trying to do his own thing. No, there's actually a whole church that can minister. And that's much more sustainable. You try and do it all on your own. Uh, it's not a good not a good sustainable ministry. So spiritually, we see these characteristics made Timothy the next most suitable person for the job. And so Timothy was sent to do an assessment and to report back. He was sent to do this spiritual review. But while he was sent, Paul retained the oversight. We, we saw that, that um, actually Paul did the sending and actually Paul did the receiving. Later in the chapter, he, he heard about the news. So he had the oversight of all this. And we must remember that ultimately our pastors have this role. Uh, it says in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. This is something that I've had to learn personally. I'm a counsellor and I'm a deacon, but I'm not a pastor. Despite that, I have not been given the ordained responsibility and I'll not have to give an account for people's souls like the pastor does. And so whether it's me or others, you know, if you have opportunities to be reviewing another person's faith, then we've got to remember that it's ultimately the pastor's responsibility. That's not to put it all on them, but it's to know that it, this may be a, specifically a pastoral matter, might be very serious, uh, or it may be... That, what I do is if someone comes to me, I say, that's great, have you told your pastor? You, maybe you should tell your pastor. Can I come with you to tell your pastor? Uh, I don't try to encourage you to direct them back there because I'm not an expert in spiritual matters. <laughs> so um, we've both got the Bible, but... Um, you know, I, I think we need to respect that role as well. God has gifted these men to care for Christian souls. It's in the pastor's job description, so certain matters will require them, their oversight. But at the same time, this doesn't mean we don't talk to people, we don't you know, review their, their faithfulness. Uh, we're actually doing this all the time, whether you know it or not. You know, whether we look at someone or we're talking to them, we're actually making judgments, we're forming judgments in our mind. If you're not, then I, I don't know, you must be different to me, but that's just what we do. We just it may not, it doesn't have to be you know, very negative, but we look at people and we, we may surmise things about how their Christian walk's going because we care um, is one reason. So it makes sense, really, if we're doing this automatically that we should be biblically informed 
So here's a couple of biblical guidelines if we're lay people and we're doing these spiritual reviews. In Hebrews 10.23, if you want to turn there, we'll have a look at that together. Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. <clears throat> this, this passage was uh, mentioned this morning as well. Um, I'll, and uh, in Hebrews 10.24, that word consider really means to observe or understand fully. Which is interesting because we need to observe or understand fully before we effectively provoke another person to love and good works. Um, it helps to actually understand how we might be able to do that better if we're observing and, and gathering a bit of information. Secondly, we must care about the spiritual well-being of others. Philippians 2.19 reads, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. Here again, Paul is sending Timothy. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. So since this is sensitive stuff that we're talking to people about, like there's so many taboo subjects, there's, you know, death, mental illness. I think a Christian's lifestyle is pretty taboo for, for a lot of people. They won't, they won't share it. They might go and speak to someone out in public about it. Yeah, I'm surprised... Um, but they might not speak to those that are actually Christians and their pastors about their, their Christian walk. So that's, uh, that's not good. It can be a sensitive issue and it requires great care. We are asking someone to share personal information, both of their faithfulness, but also their failings. And a caring spiritual review will be based on information. It won't just jump to a conclusion. It will also account for spiritual growth. We're all growing at different rates but it'll also be honest, it'll be constructive, not just gloss over or be, you know, very positive, but it may have a, a better balance. And that's what Paul did. He gave balance. He highlighted the things they were doing well at, but he also highlighted the things that they, were, they really needed to address. Thirdly, we must care for our own spiritual well-being. This is a big one. If we are not spiritual, we put ourselves at risk of temptation. Galatians 6.1 Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. We need to, it's like put on our own personal protective equipment. <laughs> you can tell I work at the hospital. But um, you've you got to make sure you don't put yourself at risk. Go on and try and help other people. We need to make sure we're filled with the spirit. And secondly, if we are not spiritual... We are blind to our own hypocrisy and may cause further harm. Matthew 7, 5 says, Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. We've got to address what's going on in here first before I start going out and helping other people. As Timothy was spiritual, he was well suited to assist the spiritual review of these Thessalonian Christians. He was, he was the... Um, next most suitable candidate 
So there's just a couple of things, a few things there that uh, I think might be helpful because, as I said, we're all doing it. We're all rubbing shoulders with other Christians or, or people that we're not really certain about their faith. So it makes sense to, to look at some instruction from the Bible about how we do it before we make any recommendations whatsoever. So the three things that we need to consider is uh, those that are being reviewed. Are they saved or are they unsaved? Well, we're probably going to find that out as we spend time with them. The reason, especially for a spiritual review, would be isolation, spiritual isolation from the church, from spiritual leaders, from ministry, and suffering. Thirdly, uh, is that the reviewer, if we're doing their review, we need to be filled with the Spirit. That's that's most important. Otherwise, uh, we're not going to be leading anyone in the right direction because we're not going there ourselves. So I hope that was a blessing and um, we will close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I do want to thank you for your word and we thank you for this example that Paul gives us in uh, Thessalonians that uh, how he reviewed the faithfulness of these Christians and Father, I do pray that you might help us to practice this uh, tonight even, or whether it's through the week, that we might remember that when we're talking to people that we're not just uh, curious for no reason, but we're curious to actually encourage them in the faith, whether it be leading, leading people to you in the first place or to uh, help them to, to uh, walk more closer to you in sanctification. Father, I thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.